I, my role at Everance, I've been at Everance going on seven years. It's going to be seven years October 1st. And my role at Everance has changed a little bit over the, over the course of seven years. I used to be called a, a church relations representative, and now I'm called a stewardship consultant. But what I do primarily with Everance, and in case you don't know, Everance is a faith-based financial service organization. Um, Dan Neff is your Everance advocate here at, 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 at uh, East Pete. And he's the one that navigates sharing fund grants for you and resources, things with, in regards to stewardship education. He's your representative. My role at Everance has been to work with, with advocates, to, to, to share with churches, and to work with pastors. And now they're calling me a consultant, so my title is stewardship consultant. So I guess I'm supposed to be a master in all things stewardship. Well, as I've journeyed the last seven years, I've realized that stewardship is very broad. And I'm far from a master. I'm a novice, if anything. But I do feel like God has a lot of things to say to us as followers of Jesus in regards to stewardship. One, one point I do want to make is Larry Gingrich is sitting up there in the, uh, in the sound booth. I've probably known Larry longer than anybody else in this congregation. Larry was my boss at EMU back in the 90s uh, when I worked for him in, in sports journalism. How do you like that? So I owe a debt of gratitude to Larry because he kept me in line very briefly. I was very part-time, so I didn't have to work for him a long time. Um, the title of my, of my sharing this morning is called Missional Generosity. And there's a lot of things in that, in that two-word title. I could spend hours unpacking it. You've probably heard some of, not some of the content of what I'm going to talk about this morning, but some general themes. I'm going to kind of look through the lens this morning of three words. And these three words are up, in, and out. Have you heard that before here? Up, in, and out. If you look in the front of your bulletin, if everybody pulls out your bulletin, as I was reading it this morning, I noticed that under the part that says gathering, it says this is a time to gather, that's what we're doing right now, as a community, learning to live and love like Jesus. Together we seek after God and his kingdom through engaging him in worship, celebrating in community, and being equipped for his mission. Well, I found this ironic because that is exactly the lens that I wanted to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about missional generosity very briefly because I don't have a lot of time. But we're going to look at it quickly through three different, three different components. Up, in, and out. And in the gathering time in your bulletin, it says this. Engaging him in worship is focusing on the up part. Celebrating in community is talking about us here in. Why? To be equipped to go out into the world and for his mission. Out. So the up, in, and out is very much part of who you are. When we think about these three components, the passage of Scripture that I want to spend a bit of time with, and I'm going to talk about a few different ones this morning, but the one that I'm going to start with is out of Acts. And before I read that, I want to give a little bit of background of what perhaps this word mission means. I'm not, I'm not going to attempt to define completely mission, but I want to lay a foundation for at least one component of what missional could be. When you think about mission, that mission is the same for every single church in this world. And we were given one mission, and it's in Matthew 28, 18 and 19 and 20, and this is not the passage I want to spend time on, but I'm simply referring to this to differentiate between mission and vision. Mission is 
what? What, is, what, is, what does Jesus say in Matthew 28? The Great Commission. Go and make disciples, basically, into the nations, into the world, locally, globally, but to go and make disciples, period. I fully feel like as a mission, any church everywhere, every church anywhere can look at their mission in, the, in so many words. We are called to make disciples. Your vision varies from church to church. The specific way in, in, in which a church is being called to live out their mission in their community is that specific vision that God has given you. This mission is the same for every church, but your vision is unique. It is not that it is not the church that has a mission, but God's mission has a church. So we as a church are called to make disciples, but how we do that in our local community is unique to your local community. Now I know that you've heard a lot about neighborhood and your community in this church. I know Jeff. I know what he's passionate about. I know what you just came through this last week with East Petersburg days. So I know that you are hearing a lot and that Jeff is very committed to your community. That is what makes your church unique. We all, no matter where we go to church, has a mission, have a mission to make disciples. But here locally, you have a specific vision, I believe, and your, vis your vision is how are you doing that in the community that God has placed you, both as a church here in East Pete and perhaps where you're at, where you're living or where you're working or where you're influencing. But for your specific church, your vision is specifically as how are you making disciples here in a unique way at your local church. So that's the foundation I want to leave. I want to lay before I go any further. The up part is how are we called to be missionally generous in our relationship with God, in the authentic community that we're a part of, and then in the greater community that we're sent out into Jesus' name. So I'm fascinated by this passage of Scripture from Acts. Now there's a lot of passages we could talk about when it talks about stewardship. And I, I often share on a Sunday morning about specifically money. At Everance, we talk a lot about money. Stewardship is broader than that. You hear the, the phrase a lot of times, time, talent, and treasure. Treasure is one component of how we are called to manage the possessions we're given. We also have time. Our time is, is, is a way to steward what God's given us as well, and our talents. This morning, I am going to talk more specifically about time. I mean, I'm sorry, about about our treasure, but that is not the only way that we define stewardship. So this passage in Acts comes right on the heels of Pentecost. In Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, and we know what happened at, the, at, the, at Pentecost. There's a bunch of crazy things happened when the, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. They saw tongues of fire, they spoke in tongues, the place shook. It was a pretty significant mo mo moment. That was chapter 2. Then in chapter 4, Luke, the author of Acts, chooses to give us a window into the, the, the New Testament church that I personally think is really fascinating. He's giving us lots of examples in Acts about what the New Testament church is like. And then he chooses this 
passage, this window, if you will, into the life of the church. He says in Acts 4.32, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is a fascinating window into the early church. Why on earth did Luke choose to, to share this with us? Again, it's on the heels of Pentecost. So powerful things are happening in the group of Jesus followers that we look at as, and call the early church. And Luke says that all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, and they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify. So, the, so Luke is tying in the power of the Holy Spirit with fraternal community common aid, shared possessions, a discussion about finances within the body of believers. That is awkward and uncomfortable for us today. We can talk about a lot of things in church, but one of the things we often, I'm finding in churches, we don't like to talk about is money and possessions and stewardship. And here, Luke is not afraid at all to say, hey, this is what it looked like. After these people were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit of Pentecost, they started doing some pretty radical, crazy things with their money and their possessions. There were no needy persons among them, and from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money and sales from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who has need. That's pretty crazy. Now, note it doesn't say that everybody did this. And he didn't say that this was happening all the time. He simply said that from time to time this happened, and some of the people did this. Now, I certainly am not going to stand up here and say this is a prescription for how we should live today. Because we have other examples in the New Testament of Jesus saying some fascinating things about money. We see later on in... I'm going to find it. My notes are not... I'm not following my notes very well, it looks like. There's a passage of scripture in Mark where, the, where, the past, where somebody came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? Jesus said, go and sell everything you own. And the man walked away because he owned a lot and he couldn't do that. And the disciples were confused and they're like, Jesus, but is this what it means to be saved? And Jesus is like, hey, you know what, not, this is humanly impossible. But Everything is possible with God. It's only possible for this to happen is if it's from God. So Jesus was identifying this in Mark already. A precursor to this, this, this window into the early church. So the disciples had heard this already. They witnessed this man coming to Jesus, asking what he meant to be saved. And one of the times Jesus answered was to go sell everything you own. 
That's not how Jesus answered every time. Another person came to Jesus one time and said, what must I do? What, what's the most and greatest thing to know? And Jesus answered a different way. But one time Jesus answered this way, and this man went away, and he couldn't do it. And Jesus said, hey, this is impossible for, for, for man, but it's not impossible with God. Another passage, passage that I often preach on is from Philippians, where Paul says, I have learned to be content. I've learned a secret to be content. First, it's Philippians 11 and 12. But he says something in Philippians 13 that's really fascinating. He says, I can do everything to him who gives me strength. So I want to think about these two passages apart from the Acts passage. In Mark, we see see Jesus talking about money, saying, go sell everything you own, and the guy walking away and saying, I can't do it. And Jesus says, you're right. You can't do it without God. And then we see in Philippians, Paul saying, you know what? I have figured out the secret of being content. But... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The only way we as a body of believers, we as followers of Jesus can be content and really understand what contentment is, is through the power of the Holy Spirit and through following Jesus and giving our lives to Jesus. Two times when money was issued, was talked about, two times when possessions were talked about, two times when when that topic was brought up, it was stressed directly following that that it's impossible to do this in our human nature. But we can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. I find that fascinating. So then when we look at this Acts passage, the Holy Spirit was just poured out. These people were just transformed in significant ways. They watched Jesus be crucified. They had the power of the Holy Spirit poured out on them at Pentecost. And now... These things are happening. This thing in Mark, when the guy walked away and said, I can't do it, people were doing it. People were living that out in the early church by Acts 4. Something has taken place in these people's lives. The Holy Spirit that was poured out of Pentecost was starting to get into them and starting to change the way they lived. Was starting to make them realize what contentment really was. I don't think we're that far off today in in the American church. I don't think we're that far off from experiencing what what we could experience, but I think in some ways we're nowhere close to what the early church was was experiencing. Now, I'm not going to say, and like I said, this is not prescriptive, I'm not going to stand up here and say God is telling you to go and sell a house and give it to the church, although maybe God is telling you to do that. That would be pretty radical. My hunch is most of us are not even asking that question. There's a quote from a group called Reimagine Generosity. It says, much of today's philosophy on giving teaches Christians to be faithful materialists. It seeks to balance the American dream with the call to follow God. True biblical generosity may not always line up with the American dream. Our number one goal is to follow the example set by Jesus, not by our culture. A few years ago, there was a program on PBS, Public Broadcasting System, it's a television station, that coined the phrase, or coined the term, 
affluenza. So affluenza has three different descriptions or three different definitions. Affluenza is the bloated, sluggish, and unfulfilled feeling, feeling that results from efforts to keep up with the Joneses. Affluenza is an epidemic of stress, overwork, waste, and indebtedness caused by the dogged pursuit of the American dream. And affluenza is an uns unsustainable addiction to economic growth. Just like influenza can spread like wildfire and cause havoc on our immune systems, affluenza has spread like wildfire and is wreaking havoc on our spiritual lives. Affluenza, I'd never heard of this phrase before, affluenza, played off the word of, of affluence, is a significant, significant disease. Deeply, deeply ingrained in me. And probably in each of you. It is a disease, it is a sickness, it is a sin nature that we are not able to conquer, to fight, or to be cured of without the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said it. The only way that I can conquer affluenza and understand in the slightest bit what contentment might be is through surrendering everything to Jesus. Affluence breeds complacency in America. As Western Christians, we must wrestle with what a theology of enough means in a culture of success. And there's two ditches we always seem to fall in. The one ditch is the prosperity gospel. You see that, we see that a lot in the American church. The good life is about using money and possessions for our own happiness, which, will, which God will provide when we do the right things. A lot of us in American Christianity has gobbled up that theology because it feels good and it, it means God wants me to be rich. Although there are elements of that that maybe can be found biblically, I would argue that that is an incorrect theology. However, those of us that grew up in the Mennonite tradition tend to fall in the other ditch. The poverty gospel. That there's something more spiritual about being poor. Or at least about pretending to be poor. And acting like we're poor. Or thrifty. Or tight. Or Mennonite. And although that also has elements of, of, of God's biblical story in it, I believe, it's also not God's ultimate plan. And I want to argue that what God is really saying is it's a gospel of abundance that he wants us to follow. Not the gospel, the prosperity gospel, not the gospel, the poverty gospel, but the gospel of abundance. It's only found in the kingdom of God where there is a need and a person who can meet that need, the supply will never run out. That's what we're seeing in the Acts story. In that window in Acts 4, it's not the poverty gospel, because it said nobody was in need, and everybody was, was provided for. But it's also not the prosperity gospel, because those that did have were very quick to share. God does not, I believe, 
hate the rich person. We are all in this room wealthy. And God is not angry with us for being wealthy. If you compare our situation with most of the world, most of us in here are part of the, the majority of wealthy people. There are many, many people in this world that have nothing, nowhere close to what we have. So please, one of the things I want you to leave this morning with is never again say you're poor. Because you're not. We are wealthy. I was, I was, I got an email from my, no, it was actually yesterday, I think. I was um, FaceTiming with my brother, who's, uh, who's in, in, in Honduras. They work at a, a school in Honduras. And he was talking with his 11-year-old daughter about what it means to be rich. And she's like, wait, Dad, we're rich? He's like, oh, Rebecca, yes, we are very rich. Now, they're surrounded by poverty, but they're also surrounded by affluence. Because in the school where they live, some of the richest people in Honduras send their kids there. So we tend to have our own definition of what wealth is, but I, I want us to all realize that we are abundantly blessed by God, and not just financially, but in so many ways. But what we have to remember is that God does not simply bless us financially. And sometimes God doesn't bless us financially. But that ultimately, everything we have comes from God. Everything we have is God's, and we are called to be stewards. Luke 12, 48 says, To, much, to, to whom much has been given, much will be required. And I believe that is what God is wanting to say to us this morning. Jesus had a lot to say about wealthy people. Jesus never said being rich is wrong, just that it's very difficult to be rich and to be able to fully commit oneself to work for the kingdom. Most of us in here, no matter where we're at on the income spectrum, we are, are, we are going to have a temptation of, the, of affluenza that we are going to have to fight daily. The great question for us today is, where is the spirit, spirit leading me as an individual and then us as a community? To answer that question requires individual and corporate discernment. Even though we live in a wealthy nation, we can face financial challenges that make it difficult to give like we would like to give. How can we teach about giving on the one hand and on the other hand recognize that some members of our congregation are barely making ends meet, perhaps? How do we balance helping people manage their 90% or more so they can be in a position to give their tithe or whatever percentage that might be? These are hard questions, and I'm not going to stand here as an expert telling you how to, how to give or what to give. I'm not going to tell you whether the tithe is biblical or whether we should live for it today, do it today, whether you tithe on pre-tax or post-tax, whether you give all your money, to eat, all 10% here, or whether you share that with the community, because most of us are not tithing anywhere close. Most of us, some of us in this room statistics say give zero. Most of us are giving between 1% and 2%, period. And that's not even arguing about whether we give that to here or give that to other nonprofits. So I'm not going to go there this morning. What I do want to leave us with is for you to leave today asking some new questions. In, in light of the great need, this is the question I want us to ask. In light of the great need in our world, what is God calling me and my fellow Christians to in terms of the standard of living and material possessions? 
What is God saying to you? And what are you doing about it? When it comes to missional generosity, and when we look at it through the lens of our relationship with God, what is God saying to me? In community, the in, what is God saying to us as a community about out? About how we can bless our neighbors? We listen to the Holy Spirit in community, together to discern, to know how we can go out and be a blessing to the world. God has blessed us, yes, maybe financially, maybe not, but God has not blessed us financially. God has blessed you to be part of a community. That's where the true blessing lies. That passage in Acts, don't miss the part about it that says they were a, commun- they were a community. That is the rich blessing that's in that. Yes, there was, they were provided for. Yes, there's going to be financial provisions. God's not worried so much about your money. He's worried about your heart. Are you more concerned about petty things than you are about making disciples? Come together as a community. You are blessed beyond words to have a community like this. That's where this blessing lies. Therein lies the most incredible thing that Jesus Christ chose to dwell as a human being and then he, he, he died on the cross for our sins. We say this all the time, but then he left us. He left us as a church to be his hands and feet to the world. What are we doing about it? So missional generosity means much more than just giving a few dollars on a Sunday morning. It means investing your lives. And if that means giving above and beyond what you've ever given in the past financially, great. If that means volunteering more, then do it. Every single one of you should be involved in some way in the life of this church in a volunteer setting. Oh, Every single one of you, you all have some sort of talent and gift to give. Yes, you all should be giving, but every one of you should be volunteering. It's not just the treasure, it's the time and talents also. So missional generosity is more than just your money. Although it is big time your money, it's more than just your money. God wants your heart. Stop critiquing each other. Stop trying to figure out what you want and start asking what does God want. And it might look really radical. And it might be really uncomfortable. But if you want to be a true community like that Acts community, yes, God might be asking you to sell a house and bring that to, 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 to give on a Sunday morning or give that to your treasurer or talk to somebody on their finance team or something like that can be way outside your comfort zone. But he might be saying that to you. He might be telling you to teach Sunday school. And for some of you, that would be more, more difficult than giving, a, giving away $10,000. God wants your heart. That's the most important thing. This will not necessarily mean that we are asked to sell everything and live among the poor. But it does mean that we will look at our income and our assets and our giving in a new light. One illuminated by the light of the kingdom of God. Not just our giving, but our time and our talents as well. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I'm going to leave you with one line. I'm going to invite you to stand as well. And what I'm going to share is simply this last sentence. Our relationship with God, this is, it's all about God. 
Our relationship with God in authentic community with Jesus' followers, sent to serve the world in Jesus' name, to make disciples, and to bring forth the kingdom of God. That's what God wants to leave with you this morning.